This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by TouringPlans.com. Head over to TouringPlans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the Crowd Calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the Touring Plans to save time and money waiting in line. TouringPlans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. again everybody to the disney film project podcast it's us we're back again how have you been how are the kids everyone good good all right so we are here to discuss the films of the walt disney company like we do each and every week on this program i am ryan kilpatrick i am one of the hosts of this show and together with the other folks who work on this program we do disneyfilmproject.com where you can go and you can check out all the information you would ever want to know about the films of the walt disney company uh, and get information about shorts and films and features and true life adventures and all sorts of fun stuff so make sure you go and check that out as always, I am joined by film experts. We we comb the land for the finest film experts, and we came up with, first of all, Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who is the blogger over at touringplans.com. You know that. You know he's the chief technical officer at DisneyDrivenLife.com. You know that, too. You know he works over at OnTheGo and MCO.com. I, you probably knew that. What you probably did not know is that he also um, built Big Ben. I don't, I don't know if you all <laughs> I, I did well. I designed Big Ben. Let's be realistic. I'm build. I'm not. I'm not. This is true. Into the heavy machinery the... stuff. Yeah, you, you're more like a blueprint sort of thing. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, you tote that cog, lift that gear. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know how it works. You didn't know how to put it together. Yes, right? yes. Okay. Of course. It's time, right? Time, yeah, time travel. One's a precursor to the other. Don't say too much. Just be careful. All right. Okay. Normally, we are also joined by Miss Brianna Alessio, who you can find over at Adventures of Brie and adventuresofbrie.blogspot.com. She'll be back with us soon. Also, we have Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who produces this program and edits our ramblings into some semblance of coherence. Uh, and she can be found over at about.me slash Cheryl P3 or at Cheryl P3. Or you could just say, hi, Cheryl. How are you? Like we had them listen to do it when we were in the parks. There you go. Ty and I actually had that happen to us. One of our listeners found us by our voices. Yep. Wow. Yep. Lost awesome. of time. It's cool. Fabulous. And as you all know, we, we have folks join us from time to time just to throw in a little extra perspective because, frankly, Cheryl gets tired of listening to Todd and I talk because she listens to that all the time, even when we're not talking about the show. So this evening, we have with us Mr. Kevin Quigley, who you may know on Twitter, at Kevin Entley. Uh, and if you're not following him, come on, what are you doing? Uh, you may also know his writings if you like the books of one Stephen King. Not you kiddos, but you know, you grown-ups. Uh, you can follow his writings over at Charnel House, C-H-A-R-N-E-L House, S-K.com. You can go check that out. How are you, Kev? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you guys? Could be better if we were in Disney World. <laughs> Which I'll be in two days. See, just rub it in. <laughs> I'm already in Disney World, Ryan. Uh, I know. You're always there. Ryan That's hates us all. Yeah. 
Hate Sorry, is Ryan. a strong word. We are talking about the Great Mouse Detective this Woo! evening. Frequently. Yay! Just recently, not frequently, but although it is frequently released on DVD, but recently released on the Blu-ray. HD Great Mouse Detective is what we're saying here. Wow. So have not checked it out uh, before, you now have a chance to go do so and go pick it up on Blu-ray. Uh, this is from 1986, so this is this is what a lot of Disney folk like to refer to as sort of the canary in the coal mine because this is the film that sort of paved the way for what they call the Disney Renaissance with the Little Mermaid and, and the films that would follow like Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, and so on and so forth. Uh, it is in, in our purview. It's our latest film in the Clements and Musker oeuvre that we are reviewing. After this, we have one more to go through, but we have done all. This would be the, the fourth Clements and Musker film we have reviewed. Will it? Wow. I guess so. Yeah. All right. Prince- catch me up. Catch me up. What were the What were the What was the other one? Were the other uh, Princess and the Frog, Treasure okay. Island, and The Little Mermaid. Oh, fantastic! Yes. yes. So the only one we be missing is Aladdin. Yeah, Aladdin. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yeah. But but this movie is the whole reason why Little Mermaid was greenlit and set to go. So absolutely, none of those others would exist without. Basil of Baker Street and the Great Mouse Detective. So yes. it is a good place for us to go through. By today's standard, it's not a great monetary success, but at the time it was, it made more than twice what it cost to make the film. So, you know, you're talking $14 million to make and $38 million total over time it's made. So it's considered success. So that's, you know, there you go. Success was what they needed after Black Cauldron. Uh, yes, that would be putting it mildly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's also one of the films – it's one of the few films of this era that actually has gotten a re-release. It was re-released in, in theaters in 1992, and like I mentioned, I think it's this is its fourth home video release. I believe they that's did a, They did a video, um, another video, then a DVD, right? No, no, I'm sorry. A video, a DVD, a DVD re-release like it was the the Mystery in the Mist edition or something Mystery like that. Mystery in the Mist, yeah. Exactly. Right? And then the new Blu-ray one. So, yes, fourth time. Yeah. Yeah, and there apparently the uh, the the uh, DVD, the the mystery in the mist one, uh, restored the original 1986 uh, title card, and the other ones were based on the the videotape. Yes, when it got renamed yes. on videotape. There you go. Yes. Yeah, because in '92 it was it was released as Adventures of the Great Mouse Detective. Yes, it was. Yeah. Which the title itself was not one that the animators were particularly fond of because they thought it was so much so incredibly vague uh, that there was actually a joke going around the studio when when it was when the title was decided on that they would rename other you know other Disney films uh, along those lines like Seven Little Men Help a Girl <laughs> or things yes. like that. Yes. Yeah, and I remember there there were um, there were similar yeah there was an article in the L.A. Times in 1986 about that. Uh, uh, you know about the and then when um and then when Tangled came out they did the exact same thing. People said, oh, you know we're just gonna name films like this, you know, again because it's so vague and doesn't make any sense. So uh, I, I thought it was interesting because I remember hearing that stuff about Tangled, and then didn't know that that was something that had happened before. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yes. Yes. Well, everybody involved with the film wanted it to be named after the book because it's based on a book, Basil of Baker Street, mm-hmm. right? And that's what they wanted to be named and they were overturned by the studio. Right. So 
I, I guess that's uh, because didn't um, young Sherlock Holmes come out fairly recently uh, by Steven Spielberg and it didn't do very well, so they wanted to disassociate from that? Um, I forget what year young Sherlock Holmes came out, but it was about then, yes. Yeah, I think it was 85, if I want to say. You, you mentioned it's based on the book Basil of Baker Street, uh, written by Eve Titus, which is basically a, exactly what the film is, which is a mouse version of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, and Titus named her character Basil after the actor Basil Rathbone, who, who played Sherlock Holmes in the majority of the radio and film versions of Sherlock Holmes. Probably the most famous versions of Holmes, I would say. Yes. Uh, to, to the point where they actually, when Sherlock Holmes makes his appearance in the movie, they actually use some recordings of uh, Basil Rathbone doing Sherlock Holmes. As well they should. Yes. It's, uh, it, did you know what the recording is from? It's the adventure of the redheaded league is the story, but I don't know what like if it was from a radio play or if it was from. It, a, it was him uh, reading. It was after he starred in the movies. It was him reading a radio play version of it in 1966. Um, what's interesting about that story is because the lines from the store are actually in this movie. It places it about the right time period for the book because they say London 19, 1897 in the beginning of the movie, right? Correct. So the redheaded uh, league was uh, in. 1890 roughly time frame so they have the time frame roughly correct it's within a decade which counts when you're doing time travel as we I, well know <laughs> yes give or take always yes absolutely so you mentioned that the the, the movie begins in in 1897 and it begins with a prologue which again we've talked about before was not typical of the older disney films so like pinocchio snow white those films they did not use a prologue but in the more recent films, as they've gone forward, the prologue has kind of come more in vogue. So this one begins with a prologue of a young girl playing in her father's toy shop. So her father, Mr. Flabersham, is making toys while uh, the young girl is playing around trying to figure out uh, you know, how to play with certain things. And her father, because it's her birthday, presents her with a little toy mouse that, that spins around and, and dances on the, on the table in front of him. And just as... They are, you know, watching this toy and having a good time. The door starts to somebody's knocking at the door, and they don't know who it is. And he hides her under the desk, and the, a bat comes in with a peg leg and steals him away. I just wanted to say that the voice of Flaversham or Hiram Flaversham, because that's actually yes. his name, it was done by uh, Alan Young, who voices Scrooge McDuck. Yes. Oh, I yes. had no idea. Yeah, so they used him because they wanted that that brogue on his character. So because he was already good at it, they just used him for the voice. So that that's the opening of the film. We don't really know what's going on, right? Except for this bat has come and stolen away uh, Hiram Flaversham, uh, and his his daughter is left by herself. And that's when we get the, the title sequence of the Great Mouse Detective, and the fact that it is in London in eighteen ninety seven. And then we begin to be narrated by Doctor David Q. Dawson. Uh, so again, a takeoff on Watson from the Sherlock Holmes stories, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we, that he is returning to London in a great scene because we see the actual Watson in a coach above him, and we see Dawson sitting on the step reading his newspaper. Uh, so when he stops and pops off onto the sidewalk, he, he sees Olivia, uh, the daughter, who is sitting there crying and manages to get the story out of her, and that she is looking for Basil of Baker Street who is the, a world-famous detective to hopefully help find her father. Yes. 
We should also mention probably that they're all mice. What? <laughs> <laughs> I always find it interesting. It's like this and the rescuers, like, how is this all happening? Like, and how are things world famous in the mice world? I know I'm thinking about it too specifically, but like, you know, how do they, how does it, you know, how they have a mice UN and how they have a mice, de- mouse detective. I always think like that was really interesting and strange. They had they a have. newspaper. <laughs> they yeah. Tiny little they- newspaper. So did they have, like, mice TV in the Rescuers? That was my question. Are they just using human TV? They were they, using human TV, but yeah. I don't know. Morse code? Morse. <laughs> mice code? Mice code. There you go. <laughs> is is there a mice internet? That's what I want to know. The meisternet. Well, what would you use to click? Your tail. <laughs> exactly. That's my answer. So they go and find Basil of Baker Street and basically find out that Basil is insane. Would be the best way to summarize their first meeting with Basil. Do you really... I don't know. Well, did you get what's going on? Yes. He is trying to detect some things as a detective. He was trying to do some ballistics, which involved basically shooting a loaded gun in his house. Right. Yes. That's a pretty typical intro scene for Sherlock Holmes in some of the movies. I mean, guns seem to always be involved. I'm never sure why. Well, to be fair, Sherlock Holmes himself is insane. Right. If you read the Arthur Conan Doyle stories, he's nuts. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's, he, I agree. Yeah, but, he can't function in society. And I think that's best portrayed in the Robert Dowdy Jr. version of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Yeah. Right? There's no question there. Yeah, he's like OCD, and he, uh, and he, yeah, he, he can't relate to other humans because he's got so much going on up there. Right. And that's what happens when he, when they come into his lair there, his little hole at, in, on Baker Street is he's shooting a gun, and, he, uh, you know, Dawson's trying to get Olivia to tell him about his fa- her father, and he, he basically just ignoring them because he's in his own head about the ballistics on these two bullets and, and what that is. Now, we never know what the two bullets are, you know, connected to. We don't know what that case is or what's going on there or any, any of that information. It's just this is what he's doing at that time to try and figure something out. It involved him being disguised as a Chinaman. Or a yes, it did. Guy, I don't know, that's all we know. Um, so here's an interesting thing, right, is um, – Obviously, they went to great lengths to draw from Sherlock Holmes in general for this movie. Great lengths. Because right. this whole scene where Dawson meets Basil is exactly, almost word for word, the scene where Holmes meets Watson in the original A Study of Scarlet book that was the very first Sherlock Holmes novel. Really? I hadn't thought of that, but it, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah, the whole thing about the do- about being a doctor, recognizing the stitch on his sleeve, uh, using this particular brand of cat gut, um, that he was recently back from Afghanistan—all of that is Watson and Holmes talking. Wow, yes, that I remember. That I remember from studying Scarlet. Yeah, yeah. When he deduces like who that he's a doctor, all that kind of stuff, which actually brought up an interesting point for me. So one of the big things with Holmes is that he deduces things correct like you mentioned the the downy movies he's always deducing this is how this happened because of things like you just mentioned the cat gut those sorts of things this is really the only time in this movie that basil does any deduction 
huh. couple more times. The the window the window to get in. But is that it, deduction? Well, he's looking. I mean, uh, deduction involves some amount of looking. I guess you're right because the other time I get the other time he figures out a big plot point is with forensics. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When he figures out the the right. rat letter, yeah. Yeah. And that whole that whole thing that he does later on with the forensics is actually very interesting. I mean, I don't want to talk up too much about it now, but I'll, forensics was first being thought of as a science back in this time frame, which is part of the reason yeah. why it figured into the Sherlock Holmes character. And it wasn't until many years later when the FBI eventually picks it up as a thing that it becomes a big deal. Interesting. Yeah, I just found it interesting because, I mean, they, they spend a lot of – I mean, it's the great mouse detective, and, of course, it's based on Sherlock Holmes. But he, as far as his relation – Basil's relationship to the actual Sherlock Holmes, I would say he's actually quite different than the actual Sherlock Holmes. Not in a bad way, though. Like, I really like Basil, so yeah, I don't it, see that as a problem. But he is definitely a different character. It was partly intentional. I mean, they, want, they didn't want Watson to be – I mean, Dawson to be Watson in – Basil to be Holmes. They wanted to be their own characters just based on those characters. You know, like derived from those right. characters, but not the same. Because otherwise they would have gone sued. And we would never got this movie. <laughs> there you go. But Basil, once he finally understands what's going on with Olivia, because Olivia mentions the bat, and they realize that Basil says, well, that's Fidget, who, by the way, is my favorite character in this movie. I love Fidget. He creeps me out. He's so scary. <laughs> the, the voice alone just terrifies me. Yeah, the, I the, love the voice. <laughs> the designers did that intentionally. They wanted a literally. They their goal was to design a character that was extremely scary yet extremely lovable and comical. Right, right, right. Which I know sounds odd. <laughs> almost, almost at odds. But there it is. I think they really succeeded. I agree. Especially yeah, when, he's in the, when he's in the Beefeater outfit towards the end of the movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, they need they need little plush, little mini plush of Fidget in the Beefeater outfit. Oh, that, that's that what we need. Yes, It'll be the new Duffy. The new Duffy. Exactly. <laughs> now, if Duffy were Fidget, I would be all about Duffy. <laughs> Just saying. That's a whole other story, though. But once once Olivia mentions Fidget, Basil realizes that the person that is holding her father is Radigan, who is the criminal mastermind and, again, modeled on Holmes' enemy of Moriarty. So they're always trying to outsmart each other, Radigan from the criminal side, Basil from the, from the good side. And we flash over to Radigan, and we have a fun celebration of Radigan as all of his flunkies sing about how wonderful he is. While he's trying to figure out what's going, we don't know why he's kidnapped Hiram. He has him building something, and we don't really know what it is at this point, uh, because we, you know, just see hints of what he's trying to do, which is some sort of a contraption that's picking up teacups. But that's about all we know. Right. And it's what I like is it's steam powered. I mean, it's a literal literal steampunk thing in the middle of this movie. Oh yeah, it's not the last one either. There's there's a lot of steampunk in this. Yes. There we go. And it, it, but I like the Radigan singing portion. 
where he's singing the song The World's Greatest Criminal Mind, which we should mention the music in here is uh, by Henry Mancini, so no yes. slouch. Yes. And this is Vincent Price, who does the voice of Radigan, uh, singing the song. So a pretty good combination there. Yeah. It's, I, actually, it's a really great song. It's very enjoyable. I, I agree. The um, I, And you know what's great about Vincent Price is, is there's this whole interview – that where he goes into how he had always wanted to be in a Disney movie. So this was like his favorite chance of a movie in like several years up until that point. Yeah, he later on said that uh, Radigan was his favorite role ever, which I think is interesting. Huh. That doesn't surprise me, though. I mean, if you if you read a lot about Vincent Price, which I, I really enjoy watching his movies around – October around Halloween time. Mm-hmm. So I advise all of you folks to get the Great Mouse Detective if you don't want your kids to watch House of Wax, which they probably shouldn't, <laughs> even though it's, it's, it's PG, but don't let them watch it anyway. Uh, but if you read anything about him, I mean, he was such a fun-loving person that it does not surprise me that he really wanted to do this. He, yeah. he was definitely like not the character you see on, on the movies. He was, he was a fun guy, so... They, they, once, they got, once they got him on board, too, they changed the character quite a bit from their original sketches and ideas. They, you know, they really worked in his whole hand gesture and whole theater performance type thing into the character. That's why Radigan is so flamboyant. Yeah. Oh. Which I think works great because Radigan becomes that over-the-top villain that this movie really needed because everybody knows who Basil is. You know, you know Sherlock Holmes, and, and whether he plays as Sherlock Holmes or not, you're going to project your take of Sherlock onto him, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's just what you're going to do. And the same thing with Dawson. But they needed a villain who, you know, let's face it, Moriarty, the the normal Sherlock Holmes villain, is not something that everybody knows nor remembers. But they needed an over the top theatrical type villain, or you know, somebody to kind of steal the show on the bad guy side. And I mean, the character, the animation of Radigan, and the voice of Vincent Price are just fantastic yeah the the london times when this movie came out wrote an article and uh they classified this movie as film noir even though i who studied film noir in school would say that it's probably actually not <laughs> yeah. um they they classified it that way and they but i think their theory was that it's to them it was film noir because the likable character in the movie is actually the villain oh interesting so which again Shows that they really didn't understand what film noir was, but I get no. what they're, I do get what they're saying is Radigan is actually a very likable villain. Well, to a degree, though, I mean, you know, after uh, after he he has the the cat eat his uh, eat his like drunken accomplice, that's when I started taking yes. him really seriously. I was like, oh, he's flamboyant and fun. He's like one of these crazy fun Disney villains. Oh wait, someone actually just died. Oops. <laughs> yeah, can we talk about that? Because yeah. that's scary. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah, poor, the, the, ba- poor Bartholomew. <laughs> poor drunken Bartholomew. Yeah, it's just it. Like there's a there's a lot uh, higher stakes in this one. There, there's there's some grittiness that isn't in most of the other Disney movies, even even the more uh, recent ones. You know, there's a lot of drinking. There's there's a uh, you know, there's there's murder, actual full on murder, and uh, the and, you burlesque know, scene. There's, there's the burlesque scene, which is yeah, racy. <laughs> I have that uh, song that was, in my that iPhone. Was, that was eye opening. Let's, yeah. let's 
we'll, we'll talk about it, but that was definitely something I wasn't expecting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know the the lizard that's in the group of, of mice? Yeah. Yes, and I know where you're going with this too, but go ahead. Okay, I was just want to I just want to mention it because I because Cheryl was asking why he was there, so I went and like looked it up, and so he's actually a reuse of the lizard from Alice in Wonderland that carries the ladder and like scrambles about with the ladder while they're trying to put the house out. Oh, right, Bill. Yes. Yeah, he's Bill. Bill. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. That's amazing. But it, it's there's there's like one other scene where they reuse animation in this later on in the movie too, but. Yeah, he's Bill. I couldn't remember his name, but oh. yep. Yes, I, I brought up the fact that why would a, why would um, a salamander lizard be scared of a cat? Yeah, that does seem kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. um, I'd be, be scared be, of that cat. Yeah, that, cat, that cat's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how that cat stays uh, balanced on its feet. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. But yes, I mean, there's there's an actual death. I mean, rat, one of the henchmen calls Radigan a rat, which he is. He is a rat, not a mouse. Uh, but he wants to pretend that he's a mouse. And so when he, they call Radigan a rat, uh, it does not matter. They have him, Radigan rings a bell, the cat comes up and eats poor Bartholomew, which is just terrifying. I mean, it's it's off camera. We don't see him actually, you know, eat we see the shadow, and we see the shadow, and the song that Bartholomew is singing just gets cut off. Which, uh, you know, there's there's some cases in movies where like not showing the actual scene is scarier, and that's scary. I think. Yes, I, I, I think agree. I think in any movie that borders on some, you know, has a scary moment, or like even a horror movie, I think off-screen deaths are more scary than on-screen deaths. Oh yeah. Here's a question about him not being called Radigan. Wouldn't he pick a different name for himself if he didn't like that name? <laughs> Honestly, I had that thought also. I, yeah. I, <laughs> could he be called Mouse again? <laughs> I'm not really sure. But it, but no, I, I agree. I mean, I literally had the same thought. Is why call, why call yourself Radigan if you don't want to be called Rat? Because it's very naturally and flowy to say Radigan the Rat. So once, once Radigan finishes his song and demonstrates that he's an actual bad person by killing Bartholomew, we go back to Basil, who uh, decides that they, they've got to figure out what's going on. So they uh, have a piece of clothing that uh, Hiram had left behind. It was his hat, correct? Beret of some kind? It wasn't Hiram that left it behind. It was Fidget's hat. Uh, Fidget, sorry. Correct. Uh, but they, they managed to summon Basil's bloodhound, Toby. Which, again, how the dog is friends with the mice, I'm not really sure. <laughs> ah, but did you know? Uh-oh. Probably in, not, but go ahead. In, in the Sherlock Holmes story, The Sign of Four, Holmes borrowed a dog named Toby. Oh. So this is actually, again, another call out to actual Sherlock Holmes stuff. Uh, in the movie, isn't Toby uh, Sherlock Holmes's dog, and then Basil's buddies with him because he just lives there? I think so. It's never actually said. That's kind of what I'm figuring as well. Yeah. But yes, that's they are. Like. Yeah, they are up in Sherlock Holmes's house. That's also not made clear, other than to see the bust of Holmes on his bookshelf. Right. Which is right next to some hidden Mickey's as well. Oh. Because it's what also- is. It- isn't there hidden Mickey's in the fireplace at uh, at Basil's house? 
Is there? It looks like it to me, okay? It looks like the, the whatever the, I don't know what you'd call them, the stands where you would put the logs in, they're shaped like Mickey heads. Oh, it's, yeah, that could be entirely possible. Or, you know, sometimes, like, they stack the logs in these movies. It's like, you know, with the shape of a Mickey head. There was also um, one of the henchmen of Radigan when they're lighting his cigarette, has a, one of his cufflinks is a Mickey head as well. <laughs> So you know they're th- they're throwing them all over this movie. I mean they're getting them. There's probably tons that I missed, but that's just you know a couple that I saw. This isn't the first movie where they do that, is it? No, absolutely not. Especially in this time period of the '80s, they did it a lot. Like you know, obviously Tron has the biggest Mickey head ever, right? right. And you know, so they do all sorts of things like that. And then there's there a go. hidden Dumbo too. Yes, sort of. <laughs> It's not hidden that much, no. no because what they, they they end up doing is going to uh, the toy shop. That's where Toby tracks uh, Fidget to, uh, and Fidget's still inside because Radigan has given him a list of things to get, uh, and one and among those things are uniforms, girl, which he he try he tries to burst in and, and steal Olivia, but he failed before, and uh, gears and tools, right. Very simple words for Fidget. You can be very specific. <laughs> yeah, 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 boss. Yeah, got it. <laughs> and we should mention Fidget is voiced by Candy Candido, who who does an amazing job of, of voice acting in this film. Yeah, he does. I have to say. Very effective. He's, he's fabulous. Uh, he 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 was an old time sort of radio actor. He did a lot with like Abbott and Costello. He was in and he's in a lot of Disney stuff. Uh, he was in The Rescuers. He uh, he. Voices one of the ghosts in the haunted mansion. Like he did, he did a lot of stuff with Disney. So nice on you, Candy Candido. But like you mentioned earlier, Todd uh, Basil figures out that there is a hole in one of the circular panes of glass. Opens that to go inside the toy shop to start looking for Fidget. And I guess he does deduction inside the toy shop a little bit, right? Because he looks and sees that the uniforms are missing off of some of the Bean Eater dolls that the gears have been stripped out of some of these other things and that there's, there's obviously something going on. And by the time he finishes that, all of a sudden all the toys come to life because Fidget's trying to distract them. <laughs> so he starts sending all the wind-up toys headed towards them. They don't really know what it is, but that's that's what's going on, and that's where your Dumbo comes in. Yeah. Uh, because there's a, there's a Dumbo that's spitting out bubbles right in front of this baby carriage that Olivia is drawn to, and inside the baby carriage is Fidget, who jumps out and tries to steal her yet again. Yeah, for 45 pence is what how much Dumbo costs. <laughs> how much is that in, in modern money? In modern eight, money? Oh, well, back, back then, the pe- a pence would have been worth a lot more than a penny back then, but I couldn't tell you how much exactly. Um, but like sold that on, on American Pawn now, that would be like a really expensive Dumbo is what yeah. we're saying. I'm not even sure. Well, I mean, how could you know? It's anachronistic, right? Yeah, true. Right, because it's about fifty something years before Dumbo. Fifty now, about forty something years. Um, you know what? You know what else is in there? One of the one of the wind up toys is uh, a nod to Ward Kimball. Do you know which wind up toy? No. The Firehouse Five Plus Two. Yes. Ah. <laughs> yeah, because they have the, the band playing and they're all dressed as the firemen and stuff like that. It even has a number five in it, by the way, if you if you pause the movie. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So even though there's only four guys playing, you know, one of them has a mustache and everything, so it's there. It's all in there. Nice. 
Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. This, I think, is probably one of the scariest scenes in the movie. I keep talking about the scary scenes, but when that doll head rolls over and winks, it's just it's, it's really creepy. Yes, like like Jonathan Colton's song, right? That's my yeah. favorite Jonathan Colton song, just Creepy Doll. <laughs> I like no children. There you go. Anyway. But yes, yeah, so Fidget actually does manage to grab Olivia and abscond with her, and which leaves Basil and Dawson trying to figure out the best way to to do so and to to go after them. And Fidget drops his checklist, so he did not get the girl, but he got everything else. And then Basil does his forensics, like you mentioned, Todd, to figure out where the list came from, and figures out that it, it was uh, near salt water, so it has to be somewhere near the riverfront. And then he kind of makes this big leap of, oh, well, it has to be somewhere where there's a bad bar near the riverfront. And no, I'm no it, it's, it's not a leap. He, he, when he, before he burns that up and determines the saltwater thing, he, he tastes the paper and says it tastes like alcohol. And he says it's a specific type of alcohol that's only served in the seediest of bars. But again, I'm guessing there's more than one seedy bar on the, on the Thames. No, no, he looked. There was only the one. That was the thing. I don't know if I'm buying that. <laughs> Just saying. One CD bar in the entire Thames? Come on. Mice, though. It's a mice bar. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, that, mice that, okay, that could be true. There could only be one CD mice bar on the Thames. Yes. Yes. That has that I was... tiny octopi in it, by the way. I just want to point that out right now. Tiny little Which... mouse-sized octopi. <laughs> Which is terrifying. <laughs> 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 Basil and Dawson dress up as I would say loosely as Sailor <laughs> yeah Dawson more like a pirate like Mr. Smee yeah exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, but wait guess what the, the outfit that he disgui- that Basil disguises himself in is a call out to a Sherlock Holmes novel which okay. one? yeah so it's uh, Sherlock Holmes and the Secret Weapon Oh. Holmes wears not only wears a similar costume, but goes undercover in a pub to get information about his case wearing that costume. Wow! There you go. So again, they like I said, they really paid attention to like the Sherlock Holmes stuff when they when they did this because they just kept working it in like that. Oh, I like that. I I really appreciate that stuff. Yeah, they they did a lot of research. Did they actually take a last minute trip to London for this one? I don't think they had the budget back then. Remember, this was the movie that was going to make or break the the theater, yeah, the, sure. the studio. They were going to shut it down if it, this movie didn't succeed. Wow, Which is why amazing. they made an animated film for $15 million, as opposed to the 150 that it costs today. Yes. Right. I'm just saying, Disney, there could be a happy medium there. <laughs> we could have a really good $75 million movie. Is what this saying? is what I'm thinking. But you know they seem they seem to want to spend 150 million on all their movies. But we'll see. So he he tracks them down to the they go to this bar called the Rat Trap, and this is where we have the aforementioned burlesque scene because yes. there's the the tiny octopus, which is terrifying in and of itself. <laughs> it's juggling. It's yes. juggling, <laughs> which is wrong in so many ways. It's so wrong. Well, it's got eight arms. It's only juggling two things. I don't get it. it none of none of it makes sense. It's it, it tried to rewire my brain. Yeah, none of it makes sense, and none of it is anyway right. 
But once the octopus disappears, you know, Basil's asking around about Radigan, which, of course, everyone gets suspicious because they're all Radigan thugs or scared of him, one of the two. But right before he can really make much progress, onto the stage bounces this this woman who starts singing a burlesque number, uh, as you mentioned, about Let Me Be Good to You. Oh, yeah. What is this doing in this movie? Because it doesn't relate to anything. The singer doesn't really show up again. It like it's just this. Hey, let's let's pause the movie and watch this burlesque scene that doesn't really have anything to do with anything else. I I I think to some degree too, they're trying to appeal to adults who might be watching this movie with their kids, right? Right. But it's it's if a little it's appeal, super racist. It off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was the eighties. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but the, the barmaid drinks their drinks. Yeah, the barmaid spikes their drinks, but we don't know what it is. And so Basil figures it out because he kind of tastes a little sip of it. But Dawson drinks the whole thing. And it's drugged, one would presume, with some sort of fatal toxin. And what Dawson does in response to the drugging is get up on stage and dance with the burlesque dancers. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I did not understand this. No. Apparently no one else did because then a bar fight ensues. That they're I'm not a part of. Saying, <laughs> yeah, what what was in this drink that was so horrible that Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's poison so much as like double drunk. Yeah. <laughs> it was more like a roofie. Yeah. <laughs> Dawson got roofied. Okay. I could go with that. But yeah, because, well, the bar fight starts because Dawson falls off the stage from the burlesque dancers and hits the piano. The piano player, you know, flies backward, hits another guy, and there's a bar fight and chaos ensues while Basil and Dawson kind of sneak away, find a trap door. And when they sneak away, they they find Radigan's headquarters after climbing through a drain pipe, basically, because they see Fidget come through the, the, the bar they follow him down through this drain pipe and into Rat- towards Radigan's headquarters. They see Olivia over there captured in a bottle, uh, and when they walk over, it's actually not Olivia. It's Fidget, and a big banner un- unravels that says, Welcome Basil, because Radigan has set a trap for him. And all the bad guys shot surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Which was quite fun. I thought that was very considerate of them to make a banner for him. It was. He didn't even appreciate it either. No, he really didn't. No, he just sulked. I mean, what was that? <laughs> this is what he did. This is what he does. Radigan's like, ha ha, I've outsmarted you. And Basil just goes, yeah. I guess and then he, he did. Sulked. He, he says that you're 15 minutes too late. I was trying to figure out how he exactly determined 15 minutes too late. Because there was no timetable involved in anything that's been going on in this movie until that point. It was his timetable. But we didn't know what it was. We didn't know there was a timetable. Did we? No, I'm I'm saying he calculated. Okay, we're talking about how Basil, Basil calculated stuff. Bragan did the same thing. He calculated how long it would take them to get from the bar to and getting, getting drugged to his lair. Oh, um, maybe. That's no, that's what he did. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like fifteen. Like I, I thought it was like, oh, I set the bomb. I sent the bomb off fifteen minutes ago. You're too late. I thought that's what it was. You know, that kind of oh. stuff. Too late. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, I, I guess that, I'm, I, that's I guess, what it was. What Cheryl said is right. It's just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, yeah. except, explain it well. I agree. I, I guess if you consider that Radigan's supposed to be Moriarty, and Moriarty's yeah. supposed to be as calculating as Holmes is, I guess then it starts to make sense. Yeah, that's it. Okay, you got it. I'm on it. I'm good. <laughs> But rather than – so this is the other thing. Rather than kill Basil and Dawson, he, he comes up with this, like, unbelievable Rube Goldberg machine to kill them. <laughs> you know why? Because he watched too much Batman in the 60s. Oh, that makes sense. 65 years before Batman came on the air? <laughs> well, yes. So time travel. Big Ben. Time travel. Missed that whole thing. Alan oh, Young true. was in the time machine. I mean, come on. That's a good point. Vincent Price was good. on Batman. Vincent Price is involved. It's a good Let's very. Just, good. And Vincent Price was on Batman. Yes. See, Cheryl's got it. Cheryl's unraveled the entire mystery. It all makes sense now. Now I know why there's yes. an octopus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course, there's an octopus. <laughs> <laughs> The ba- so the basics of the machine is there's a record playing that Radigan has recorded the song about how he's going to miss Basil now that he's dead. And once the song about how he's going to say goodbye to Basil ends, the, the arm on the record player will pull something so the ball rolls down and all of a sudden they will get shot, chopped with an axe, and have an anvil dropped on them. <laughs> and shot with an arrow, just for good luck. Right. Yeah, well, he he makes this comment like it's like, well, I wasn't sure which of my great ideas was the right way to kill you, so I decided to use them all. <laughs> it's really intense. Yeah, yeah. It's which a death trap. Like a good idea. That's the, the whole time. point. Of, it, I I believe that intensity is part of the definition of a death trap. I'm just saying. I I, I see your point. Theoretically. Theoretically. Uh, and and poor, poor Dawson, he's stuck there because Basil's given up, right? He's been outsmarted, and he's he's given up. And Radigan makes this comment about how they're going to uh, do something at Buckingham Palace so that it's immediately tipped off to the Queen. And when, when as he leaves and we leave them in the death trap, they go to the Queen, and what they're doing is we find out what the contraption was, which is it's basically a steam-powered Queen, and the toy Queen is going to take over and... Radigan's henchmen, that's why they need the uniforms, because she fools them into thinking they're bean eaters, and takes her and stuffs her in a closet somewhere, and the queen is going to, t- you know, they've replaced the queen with this with toy. Really unrealistic looking toy queen. Robo queen is what I wrote down <laughs> in my notes. <laughs> yes. I'm just saying, I don't think that she is uh, all that uh, believable. They're mice. Come on. <laughs> I mean, what do, do mice, mice have know? notoriously bad eyesight? Probably. Yes, this is. I agree. This is completely why. Besides, it's their queen. Right. <laughs> Maybe she was just having a bad face day. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No. Roll with it. Come on. Yeah, yeah it works. Roll with it. That's a, that's all I can say. It's just roll. <laughs> Because Basil Dawson, once he finally figures it out, and you know, I'm assuming 
Well, I think what we're led to believe is that Basil tells Dawson what's going on with the queen and the toy and all that stuff, because he's obviously figured out based on the comment that he says before. But rather than him explain it, we see what actually happened. But when we get back to the two of them, it's uh, Dawson has to cajole Basil into getting them out of the mousetrap because they're tied to a mousetrap. I didn't mention that before because the rest of the stuff wasn't enough. (laughs) So here I have a question. So. They've got – the uniforms were to dress up the mice, and the tools were so that Flabbershim could do his work, and the gears were that, so that he could make the robot, the robo-queen, okay? Mm-hmm. And obviously, Olivia was the – his reason for doing all of this. You know, he was being blackmailed. But my question is this. Why did they go through the trouble of wrapping the robo-queen up if they were just going to knock out her guards and then walk in her front door anyway? Oh, yeah. Because Radigan is a showman. But they didn't, even let, they didn't even let her unwrap the present. They unwrapped it for her. Yeah, I, I got nothing for you there. All right, I'm sorry. Just... <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, Radigan, Radigan was wanting to make a big deal of it. That's all I got for you. Because <laughs> he's Vincent Price, and that's what Vincent Price would do. I agree. Isn't the Goodbye So Soon song creepy? Yes. The fact that it's called Goodbye So Soon is creepy, and then everything following. Okay. I'm glad we're in agreement there. Glad, glad. Yes, Yes, yes. incredibly. Yes, because Basil loses his mind again once he figures out. Because Dawson says, well, if you're just going to sit there and pout, we should just let the trap off now. And Basil says, okay, let's let the trap off now. That's freaky. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of jarring moments in this film. Yes, that's a very good way to put it. Because <laughs> he does it, and he manages to, you know, they flip the trap at the last second, right, as the ball's stopping, and it frees them from the trap. But everything else still happens. The arrow still shoots, the anvil falls, the axe falls, you know, all that sort of stuff. And they manage to land on the outside, catch Olivia, because she pops out of her champagne bottle that she's in, and... Radigan had set up a camera, and they just managed to stop just in time to get a camera, a picture taken of them escaping from this carnage. Right. Re- well, remember, remember, Radigan said, "Smile for the camera before you die," and remember to say cheese. Right? He says that. Right. Before he leaves. But here's the thing, right? The gun didn't shoot them. The ball hits the gun and knocks it off kilter, and it shoots the axe, which falls apart and hits something else. Right. right, so they so they fouled most of the trap except for the one the the weight above them, and that's what they actually managed to get out of because the axe falls like perfectly between them and cuts their ropes, and they escape at the last second. Yes, you know what this right? reminded me of Todd. Besides Batman, yes. Do you know? No, what? Where they escape from Big Bentley and Cars. Oh yeah, yep. yeah. They almost—that's right. The the rope tying and the cutting right in between the two people is exactly the same as in Cars too. I didn't even think about that. Well, and I was thinking of that when we get to because they chase them uh, later into Big Ben. I was thinking that exact same thing, Cheryl. I think huh. Cars two stole from the Great Mouse Detective. That's what I'm saying here. Oh, <laughs> makes sense. Vegas went on that. <laughs> <laughs> But so they chase Radigan they, because Basil knows what's going on. They, they hop on old Toby and, and chase Radigan over to Buckingham Palace 
Uh, because what's happened is the toy queen comes out and because it's the queen's jubilee, it's her 60th anniversary of her rule. And <laughs> she comes the toy queen comes out and Flavisham is being forced backstage to declare Radigan the new royal consort. So Radigan comes out and has this long list of things that he's going to do, like tax the elderly, the poor, and the children. Yes. <laughs> right. So just as they are – just as – Fidget has taken the queen because they were they were trying to get rid of the queen, and he's about to feed her to the cat when Basil and Dawson and everyone come storming in, knock Fidget over. Fidget goes flying out the window. They manage to save the queen from uh, the cat, and Basil takes over the controls of the Robo Queen and starts calling Radigan these awful names about how vile and despicable he is, and that he's just a giant rat and. He, he manages to take the Robo Queen and basically like run her into the ground, <laughs> shocking all of the mice population. Yeah, yeah. Well, That's... at this point, the people had started revolting too, because the the people mice, I guess. The, the well, they they realized the party the dad guests started revolting because once once really he's there, like I'm starting to taxi the the no elderly and, and little kids. They start throwing a fit. Well, they, right, right. Yeah, well, they also realize that the guards that are in uniforms are, are his guards and not they're not the queen's guards at that point. Again, because all the bad mice were in uniforms. So, so did something look familiar while Toby was racing to Buckingham Palace? Uh, I don't know. So you know the cart that almost runs Toby over? Yep. Yeah. Okay, yes. Yeah, that that cart, if you look closely, it's the pound cart from Lady and the Tramp. Oh. And it's the exact animation when, when Jock and Trusty stop the... stop the uh, tr- the pound truck. Before, before Trusty gets nearly killed. Yes, before Trusty gets mostly killed. His fake death. <laughs> His fake death. Your favorite. It no is. Fi- no fake deaths in this movie, though. No, there's just real death. There's just real death. Yes, A lot of real, is. actual, scary, sad death. Yes. Which is not good, really, no. is what we're saying here. Oh, poor, 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 poor Bartholomew. I just feel poor bad Bartholomew, for him. Bartholomew, yes. Let's have yeah. a moment of silence. All right, I'm okay, moment's over. Okay, yes. <laughs> so, back... Back with the fight, you know, Radigan jumps out, and he has this blimp that Fidget pilots. Ah, uh, it's a dirigible. Yes, thank you. <laughs> if you're talking steampunk, it's a dirigible. It's never a blimp. Thank you. Very true. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll have a good year on it. Right. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. And But he manages to steal this, or take the dirigible. He grabs Olivia on the way out so that they can't capture him. And so then Basil and Dawson and Flavisham have to figure out a way to put a bunch of balloons together and follow them. So he, they throw a bunch of balloons in a Union Jack flag and tie it to a matchbox. And that's how they follow. <laughs> Very Ginger Mosque-esque, I found that to be. Yes. yes. Can, we just, can we have a moment for Danger Mouse? Oh, I love Danger Mouse. Danger the 80s was really a great time in mouse cartoons. It really it's so was. so true. Yes. Remember, the, remember when Danger Mouse was the only thing Nickelodeon showed besides who can't do that on television? Yeah, and then yes. they added Out of Control right after that. I watched it. We all did. 
But they managed to chase Radigan, like we said, into Big Ben. Radigan crashes into Big Ben, and that's that's where the final confrontation happens. Is uh, Rad- Radigan throws Fidget off, uh, presumably to his death, because uh, we, we don't see Fidget again, do we? I don't think so. No, but I mean, I presume it was a bat. He had wings. No, he, he says he at says one point he he's going fly. down. He can't fly. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay, I didn't realize. Because I guess that was kind of sort of implied at the very beginning when he's talking about Fidget, but I just thought it was his leg that was crippled. Not, I guess his wings were, too. Well, I was wondering, because yeah, how was he flying out the cat's mouth? Carefully. <laughs> Cause he was... I think he's like an ostrich. He can fly, like, short distances. Oh, that makes so, sense. So here's the interesting thing, right? This whole clock seat battle that goes on, um, it's it's very often touted as the first major use of CGI in an animated feature, when it right? Is not. But it's not because of Black Cauldron. But here here's why it's even not even really CGI. <laughs> okay, because that's that's the important thing is is it's not really CGI. It's 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 hand drawn animation. But what they did was they used a computer to generate wireframes of the gears in the clock. And then traced them onto a cell, and then colored them in on the yeah, cell. Yeah, so it's not CGI at all. This, which would right, not CGI. Let's just let that be known. Total, total cheating. Yes, it's what you used to do with trace pa- paper and comic books when you were a kid. How did you know that? Because of the time period in which you grew up, when everybody did that. Okay. Nobody does that anymore, but. This is this is very true. And it's a sad thing, is what I'm saying. Tracing paper is out of business. Yes. So sad. Oh, well. I wouldn't uh, have a moment for tra- tracing paper, but no one else but us would know what we're talking about. So. No. But yes, that's the final, the final confrontation is Basil rescues Olivia, gives her back to her father, and is fighting Basil. They kind of topple over the side, uh, but Basil manages to just grab the wreckage in time, but... Radigan plunges to his death. So that's just three deaths in a Disney movie. Yeah. Gets better. Radigan gets better? No, no, no. This, this scene oh. is, a, is another callback to Sherlock Holmes. Oh, oh yeah. The, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you jealous. The, the orig- so the original appearance of Moriarty was in, a, was in a book called The Final Problem. Okay? In this, both Holmes and Moriarty fall to their apparent death from the top of a waterfall. Yes, but Holmes lives. Well, right? and nobody. Not in that novel. Not in that novel. He doesn't. Right. Not in that novel. Well, yes. Not in a novel written by Arthur Conan Doyle. Correct. Would be the correct way to state that. There we go. Um, but, uh, but they both end up dead, basically. Uh, so this this is a call out to that whole thing that goes on. Did you know there's actually a plaque on that ledge in real life too? Really. Yeah, that said, this is the spot where Sherlock Holmes f- battles Moriarty to his death. Um, Where's the ledge? It's uh, the the falls in it are Reichenbach Falls, and that's what they're called in the um, novel. And there's a real ledge there that they fought that they fought on. You can actually find like somebody's drawn. There's been lots of drawn pictures of it and stuff like that. That's kind of awesome. I yeah, it is kind I, of awesome. I would like to go see that. <laughs> <laughs> you can put it on the Disney Film Project field trip list. Yes, there we go. Donations for the slush fund can be sent. 
to dismalproject at gmail.com. There we go. There you go. Just send it to our PayPal account, which we will set up momentarily <laughs> for our field trips. There you go. But that's the big climax of the movie, and then when they get back to, to Baker Street, you know, the Flavishams leave, and Dawson is sort of trying to leave, but of course he's befriended Basil, and as a new client walks through the door, Basil says, you know, oh, this is my trusted associate, Dr. Dawson, that I do all my cases with, and he says, right, doctor? And Dawson, of course, says, yes, of course, and he's found a new purpose for living, and they go on detecting, because right as, as they pull out and, and zoom out of the, the underneath Baker Street uh, Basil is deducing again about what the who the client is and where she's from. So I guess he does a little more deduction. A little bit. Yes, a little bit. Sort of bookended deduction. There we go. But that's the great mouse detective. Speaking Woo. of other British things, so uh, the 1986 <laughs> Disney film. Uh, all right, so let's see what we think of it. Uh, we'll, we'll let our guest go first. Kevin, what did you think? Sir? So I um I have an interesting history with the Great Mouse Detective. Uh, I bought it uh, when I got a DVD player, uh, and uh, I would only put it in when I was sick or really tired, and I would watch the first twenty minutes and fall asleep. And this literally happened for about seven years, uh, <laughs> and then, and then uh, and then you did a tweet watch of it, and I watched the whole thing, and I was like, whoa, this movie's awesome. Um, so uh, my, and my favorite Disney movie is uh, The Rescuers, uh, followed by uh, Robin Hood. So um, I, I like animals acting like people. Uh, so this, this is, has now placed in my, uh, my top five favorite Disney films. So on a scale of one to five, what, what would you rank this one? 4.75. Wow. Yeah. That's strong. I really, really like this movie. Plus, you know, I like the darkness of it, where, you know, Black Cauldron got really, really dark and, like, really creepy. And this one sort of is an, access- an accessible darkness. So I like that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Cher- Cheryl, what do you think? Well, I don't think I had seen this before. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I didn't remember this at all. I, I don't. Know how this got on my off my off my radar or off my radar, whatever you want to say. Um, I've been thinking about this. I'm thinking three point seven five. Interesting. I definitely want to watch it again. Todd, what was your what was your thoughts, sir? So, I really like the characters in this movie. I don't like the plot so much. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know how to say it any other way. I mean, it's just kind of sort of like it's not much of a plot, in my opinion. Yeah. Right? I, that, I tend to agree with you on that. Right. But yeah, the it's, char- very character, it's character-driven. It's, it, character-driven. it's extremely character-driven, and all the characters in it are very good. I mean, even when the – here's the thing, right? So like Olivia – her character, you know, as the kid character, could have had that squeaky, annoying voice, and she does have a, you know, a very timid voice. But she's actually even a good character as a child character. Yeah, she reminds me of Penny from uh, from the Rescuers. Okay, yeah. I mean, neither one. Ha- I agree with that. Neither one has a lot of lines, but both of them contribute well t- to the other characters. Right. Okay. And I think I said I had a problem with the plot in Rescuers also. It's like I don't dislike the Rescuers. It's just that 
again, it's a rescue is another thing where it's very character driven, and I really, really like all the characters in this movie. I mean, I can't say there's one that I dislike at all. I mean, even when like we're joking about poor Bartholomew, but in, in the three minutes he's on screen, he's an enjoyable drunk mouse, right? I oh mean, yeah. <laughs> He's got charisma. Right, exactly. So that, that's what I'm saying is I think the characters are a big win for this. So, um, But like I said, I mean plot is kind of like a killjoy for me on this because I, 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 see, I see a story, but I don't see a plot to that story. Um, so I'm just going with a three. Okay. That seems fair because I, I would also go with a three. I'm right there with you. Like the plot to me is – we mentioned Danger Mouse. Like it's something out of a Saturday morning <laughs> cartoon show. <laughs> Like replacing the queen with a toy queen is right. <laughs> I will say that part of uh, probably part of my my obsession with with it right now is that I had I hadn't seen it uh, until uh, earlier this year, so it's yeah. still brand new to me. I still I, you know there's a there's a few older movies that I haven't seen like Hercules I saw for the first time recently and love that, and uh, yeah. I still haven't still haven't seen Oliver and Company, which I just bought so, and Pocahontas. Oh, that's that's totally fair because I'm the same way. Like, there's movies that I haven't seen, and I watch it, and I think, "Wow, this is great." And then, you know, years later, you you go back to it, and it might not be as much, as good as you want, but right. I for, I do like this movie. I don't want anybody to think different because I do think it's fun, and I think it's better than a lot of the the stuff that we've seen from Disney. So, uh, I definitely think it's one you guys should all check out because it's it's really uh, if you if you haven't seen it, like Kevin, you've fallen asleep 20 minutes in. You should you should make <laughs> make a pot of coffee and finish it off because I think it's very good. Uh, it's just, you know, for me, it's it's a middle-of-the-road sort of thing. It's one of those things that I would definitely, like, if it's coming on Disney Channel or something like that, I'm going to watch it. Uh, I don't know if, I'll, if I will go buy the Blu-ray or not, just because I uh, I have a VHS of it somewhere around here, uh, and, and I never watched it enough to say that I should go get it. But I think for the fact that since I'm such a plot-driven person, I it, it falls short on that area. But like Todd said, the characters are fabulous. I really love... Like, even the side characters, like Fidget, you know, I, I kind of understand who Fidget is. Like, he doesn't have a character arc, but I know who he is. I know what he, what he's about. You know, he's kind of finding redemption, or not redemption, but uh, a purpose in life by serving around with Radigan, even though he's got a peg leg. I, I kind of like that fact that you can pick up on stuff like that without having to go deep into the backstory or anything like that. And I definitely think something like this points the way to the other Musker and Clements films. Like, you can see how the approach they took to this informed Little Mermaid. And then once you watch that movie, how that informed Aladdin and, and so on and so forth. Right, right. So so I will also give it a three. So a little bit of divergence here, but that's okay. Sorry. Because we're different people. So if you think we are fabulous people or you think that the movie is fabulous, you should go and tell us that. Go to DisneyFilmProject.com. And you can let us know on the show post what you think of this program. You can also go over to Facebook and go to Disney Film Project there, and you can vote in our listener's choice poll. We are narrowing down the choices so that you can vote as to what episode or what film you would like on a future episode. So go vote on Facebook and let us know which one you picked of the ones that we have selected from your suggestions. And you can also tweet us at Diz Film Project and let us know what you think there. And then, as Cheryl mentioned earlier, send your donations to DisneyFilmProject at gmail.com. So until next week, folks, we will see you later. Dawson, these drinks have been drugged. He's a genius, Dawson. A genius twisted for evil. 
Oh, I had so many ingenious ideas, I didn't know which one to choose, so I decided to use them all. Fidget, you delightful little maniac. <laughs>